If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real-life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien, and now Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Yay, Mary, we're back. How was your Thanksgiving? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this community. Um, It's just so cool to, I think we've been doing this for three years now. And I'm just always amazed at our guests. Honestly, they're just such amazing humans. And it's just really special to be part of a survivor community. So many of our listeners are constantly giving us great feedback and they're always just so thankful. So I just want to say I am very thankful um, just to continue to walk this healing road with so many of you and to be honest and to know that my journey that continues to evolve is even safe here in this community and is welcomed as I continue to learn and grow. You are too. And it's just really fun to... um yeah, to be able to journey together. So thank you for continuing to tune into this podcast and share it with your friends. Um, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but recently on Instagram, they had this thing where you could post your top five podcasts and quite a few people had us usually at number five, but still we're making, yes, we're making lists, which (laughs) is very nice. So Um, But I'm also really thankful um, today to have one of my dear friends from for many years. Um, He and his wife and his beautiful children, they are dear friends to me. Joshua Miller is with us today. Welcome, Joshua. What up? (laughs) Joshua is coming from California. He's a worship pastor out there at a vineyard church and um, a singer songwriter and just has been such a a great friend to me uh, for many, many years. And the very cool part about our friendship is that not only does he care about what I've been doing and has been um, a voice that has, you know, promoted my ministry throughout our churches, um, the Vineyard Church, but he also in the last um, couple of years had shared with me that he also resonates with this ministry because he too is a survivor. And so Joshua, I am just so grateful that you've been willing to find the courage to find your voice and not only just personally, but that you've lent your voice even to my new project. And so we haven't talked yet about this project um, that I've been working on, but it is going to be hopefully released at the beginning of the year. And what it is, is um, a therapeutic online support group where I've got a ton of new content I'm putting out in the form of film and Joshua's story is in it. Also Mary is in it. Many of my friends are in this film. Um, And then there will also be a new ebook with journal prompts and, and just contemplative writing pieces. And then along with that, each week you will have the opportunity to meet with a support group. 
and to be able to unpack some of the new content, the new material that we're putting out um, with other survivors, including a therapist that can be there to moderate and ask questions. And um, I'm just really excited. I think it's a it's a timely thing to put out when we're all home, um, just eating Cheetos and wondering if anyone cares about our story. Um, I think it's a great time for us to be together. And if we can't be together in person, then we can meet online. And so really excited about putting this out. And Joshua, thank you for being a part of it. You are, um, you are my yes, man. (laughs) I've noticed like for somebody who hasn't been very public with their story at all, like anything I've asked you to do, you've been a yes, man. Look, I love, love, love what you are doing. And it's great. When you first told me about it, I was like, whoa, I've not heard of anyone doing anything like this so yeah of course I'd, i'm happy to do it it is it's not always easy yes, but you know that's right if it's gonna help some other people um i think it's important so yeah let's talk about it yeah right let's talk about it so yeah let's talk about it joshua i think um you know as a male survivor it's mm gotta be so much harder to talk about it am I right do you feel that or is that something that you know I think a lot of females just kind of assume yeah no I I think that's true I feel like I always thought that what I went through was insignificant to what I have heard of other people Hmm. and um, because of that I felt like well you know this isn't as bad as what other people have went through, but it has impacted my life and it has been a part of my life. And so being able to talk about it and share, um, I think my wife, my wife was the first person that I, that I said anything to any, anything about this to anyone. Um, and so, and that was, um, eight years ago, uh, seven, uh, yeah, eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, so since then, um, I've had some conversations with other people, but not in as a public way as uh, that video for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it does it does feel that way. But um, I am I am realizing more and more that it doesn't matter like how big or small you think it might be in your mind. Um, but it's, it's important and it is your story and it is a part of you and you need to share it. If mm-hmm. you, I mean, not need to, it's good to, yeah. <laughs> well, for, your, to share. for your own healing though, like yeah. that's your yeah. experience. And you've realized as you've shared, it has been helpful to your healing and yes, you want other people to feel that too. Yeah. I know you, you talked a little bit, even in, as we were recording for my new project, you even talked a little bit about, you know, even being from the black culture and mm-hmm. how that added another layer of secrecy and shame because growing up for you, you had mentioned that it was almost like any kind of sex was just celebrated no matter when it happened. Mm-hmm. You talk about that a little bit. Like, yeah. I just feel like there's so many layers, like for you, just being a black man have had to kind of come up against to find your voice? When I was younger, the kind of environment that I was in really did lean itself to just free expression, you know? And so there was, there were certain groups of people, probably just like any culture that, that just 
just felt like anything was permissible, you know, like, you know, go wild, you know, YOLO pretty much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like uh, growing up, there was this, there was this pressure to, um, to be sexually active, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and there had been other people in my family who had experienced, uh, you know, being inappropriately touched and all that by family members. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there was this, this kind of like, oh, you know, that kind of happens. You know what I mean? Like, it was just yeah. like, this is, this is a normal thing. Like, Mm -hmm. somebody's going to go through it at some point, you know, mm -hmm. be strong, keep going. Um, and I, I felt like uh, that there was just this, like, there was this stigma of, of saying something, you know, if mm -hmm. you say something, you're like, you know, you're looked at as this, you know, kind of dirty person or, you know, what did you do to invite this type of behavior? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, was it, was it, something you said or the way you were dressed or anything like that yeah. and so I do think that there were there were some fears in in being able to actually express like what was happening what was going on and just feeling like you know I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to look like a punk you know I mean I think that's some of it too is you know certain sides of my family are to this day still you know, in the streets still, you know, in gangs and doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. And so there is this kind of, you know, misconception that the more you go through, the harder you are, the more of a thug mm -hmm. you are, the more, you know, that you have some street credit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that all of those things played a role in, in me feeling like, well, I know this happened, but... I don't want to say anything. And, you know, I need to just be tough. I need to just like ride it out and, you know, thug life basically. Oh, so, uh, yeah. And that was something that was like an unspoken kind yeah. of thing yeah. as early as seven years old. Seven, yeah. Seven, six, seven years old. I mean, I remember mm. being super young and having like family members, like give me beer. You know, like, hey, take a drink. You know, like I've heard stories of of some of my uncles who have they started drinking when they were like 10, <laughs> you know, and it has destroyed their lives. And yeah. they have had a lot of difficulties um, because of it. Mm. But it's this cyclical kind of a thing that happens and that nobody really talks about. It's just yeah. like, this is this just is just a lack of boundary and um of an age discrepancy on certain developmental things and yep. yeah so going back to yeah when you were about six or seven can you share a little bit as much as you're able to of kind of what happened and you know what were you thinking as just a little boy being yeah. abused so my father died when when I was really young when I was four and so um, my mom's a single mom and, you know, struggling with trying to keep everything going. And so what ended up happening is we would spend our summers with my grandmother in Mississippi. And so uh, I think I want to say I was five or six when when I first started going out there for the summers. 
Um, and while we were out there this one summer, um, we had a babysitter who happened to be the next door neighbor's daughter. And by next door neighbor, I mean like the where my grandmother lived in Mississippi, it was like the houses were like, you know, a mile apart you know or a half a mile apart you know <laughs> yeah and okay. so uh you got all of these houses that are like on this strip of land but they're like a mile apart everybody mm-hmm. has all this land and so um we would get sent over to their house while my grandmother was at work because mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother was a nurse and so we got sent to, her, to their house and this lady would babysit us me my brother and my sister and there was a particular day where um, I noticed that she she kind of like would send my brother and sister away um, and have me stay with her. So she would let them go outside and play or walk them down to the creek or any, you know, something like that and have me stay with her. And I'd be watching cartoons or watching whatever she was watching. And one particular day, she just... I mean, it was very subtle, but I kind of knew, you know, like what was happening wasn't supposed to be happening. And she just basically just kind of, you know, like snuggled with me and just started rubbing me and, you know, putting my hands on places with her that my hands shouldn't have been. And um, there was a part of me after this happened for a while. I mean, this was happening for we were there for three months, two or three months. So we were over there every day. This is mm-hmm. happening like basically every day. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I knew it was wrong. And I knew like I was very uncomfortable. And there were times where I would want to go with my brother and sister, but she would be like, no, you're too little. You can't go with them. You need to stay here. Oh. And so it was just this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like, it wasn't like she was being forceful, but she was definitely being manipulative, you know? And as yeah. a six-year-old, you don't really mm-hmm. comprehend all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just thought I had to do what she said, you know? And so right. um, the part for me that that got weird, and I think what made it really hard for me to even kind of bring this up or talk about this to anyone was there was a point where I enjoyed it. Like, and I thought, I, I know I shouldn't be enjoying this. I know I shouldn't be touching this older woman, but she's letting me do it. And so there was this conflict, you know, like in my mind or probably in my soul as a little kid of like, what's happening? Like, why am I why do I dislike this and enjoy this at the same time? Mm -hmm, Um, And so that was, yeah, I mean, that happened again the following summer when we went back. So you're like seven or eight. I was like seven. Yeah, I was like seven or eight at that point. The following summer, we didn't go back um, because my mom, yeah, my mom had gotten remarried um, when I was nine. And Mm -hmm. so my stepdad and everybody, we all moved from, Chicago to Atlanta and so there was no more summers you know with with grandma so okay yeah so at that point it was it was over but that right that shame and the confusion that yeah started there it it, it didn't go away yeah 
when you moved. And, well, and the thing that I noticed, like, as I got older was like being very, like, I was too young to be aware of sexuality. Like I was very aware of it and I knew mm-hmm. what was happening. Like I knew what men and women did, when yeah. they were, you know, not, mm-hmm. um, not in public with other people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a part of that where I think it, it, it really did like make me aware of sexuality too early and mm-hmm. made me curious a lot, you know, and made me want to think about, you know, you know, what does it look like to actually have sex? And what does it look like to, you know, do this with someone that I actually like? And that's, you know, my age and all that. So, right. um, yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do, did you see that then kind of play out? Like if you look back over your life and the abuse that you went through and the timeline of everything, do you feel like, that um, the abuse that you went through, the sexual abuse that you went through then started to put you on a different journey um, relationally or even just like coping wise or violence or anger or whatever, anything like that, that you would say this wouldn't have happened if that hadn't happened. Yeah. I mean, I think that I may have, I think I may have not made certain choices with the kind of people that I dated. And um, when I was dating, allowing things to go too far, um, because I already knew, I already knew what it was, you know, there was no, there was no fear to doing these things because I had already experienced some of it, you know? And so it was yeah. just like, that still, again, that conflict of like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I like mm-hmm. it, you know, and yeah. you go through that as you get older, where you're like, I know my mom would not approve of this, but, mm-hmm. you know, like this feels good, or I like doing this with this person. And so yeah, yeah. I definitely think that, you know, I I may have had more reluctance to um, engaging in some of those things if I had not experienced what I experienced when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know in the film, you talked even just about, you know, the, the need for control and how that even played out, you know, in your marriage. And I, yeah. I think that's a really honest, vulnerable thing to talk about. And I think it's very common for so many other survivors, if you're willing to share just a little nugget about that, because I think it is really (laughs) freeing to hear that, especially from a male survivor. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I don't know if you want me to give away the video, but basically sharing the same thing. You can Um, give us a little, little little, taste, a little nugget here. Yeah. A little nug. Um, (laughs) So when my wife and I got married, I was, a little, I mean, I was excited, you know, about being married. I was excited about being able to have sex the right way, you know, and, um, and there was a point where, you know, my wife was like really kind of pursuing me for sex in our marriage. Like, Hey, like she was initiating Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like most people, most men would have been like, this is great. This is the greatest marriage ever, you know? Right. Um, But for me, I started to feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I actually started to say no. I started to push her away. I started to be distant. And it wasn't until, I mean, my wife's a counselor. And so (laughs) she, she's really good at helping draw things out. Um, And as we were in a conversation, I just realized that what was happening was that I was being triggered by what happened to me when I was younger having this older woman essentially initiating all of these sexual activities and me feeling like I had to do them. Mm -hmm. And so I found that in my marriage, I was actually feeling that same thing. And Mm -hmm. it was only when I was initiating sex that I really felt like, yes, let's do this. And realizing that it was because I wanted to be the one who said, you know, who gave consent or who said, hey, this can happen now. But whenever she wanted to, and when she was, you know, initiating, it really, I would push back. I would like kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, I would be, you know, not angry, but I would be uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. so it was just like one of those things that made me realize like, man, what happened to me when I was young? I mean, I got married when I was 26. So we're talking 20 years later, mm-hmm. still impacting me, right. still impacting what's happening in my marriage. And so um, <laughs> we've had to really talk through that and, and work through it and, yeah. and get to a place to, you know, kind of be able to have conversation about it. I think that's the great thing is like knowing that my wife is aware, mm-hmm. knowing that she knows um, if she ever sees me that way, she knows what it is and she knows how to kind of have that conversation or or not be pushy or whatever. So yeah. 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 I think that really speaks to so many things. Like one, that healing's lifelong. You know, this stuff yep. can come up at any time in your life. Um, also, you know, the expectation of sex and intimacy in marriage, I think, is a difficult topic for those who have been through abuse. Um And then also just the importance of being able to share your abuse story with this person that you have been committed to, right? Um, To there's so many survivors, right? That would have emailed me or, you know, just, I know have that question of like, they've never told their spouse or the, this person that they've been with, you know, a partner that they've been with for many years. And Mm -hmm. should I tell, you know, yeah. or what, what good would it do? And so I think you've kind of spoken to that, that it is important to kind of have that conversation because it, it opens the door for lots of other conversation and understanding mutual respect, creating safety in a relationship, all of those things. Yeah. And your spouse doesn't have to be a counselor, but it does help that yours is. Right. It does, it does <laughs> help. And when I first, the first time I told her, we were, we were engaged we weren't, we weren't married. We were engaged and our counselor, our marriage counselors were just like, Hey, you guys need to really just talk through all the stuff that's happened in your life. Talk through the past and gave us some, like, gave us a list of things to talk about. Talk about your sexual history was one of the things. And I just, I really did not want to talk about it because I thought if she knew 
what my sexual history was, I don't know that she would want to be with me. Mm. You know, like it, because that, it just makes you feel dirty. It makes yeah. you feel like something's wrong with me if this happened. And so mm-hmm. when I shared it with her, the response was what, like her response to um, just asking questions and asking me how I was doing and, you know, not judging me, not making me feel worse uh, was like what I needed. I needed Mm -hmm. someone to hear. She was the Mm -hmm. first person that I had ever told this to. Mm, Yeah. And I think it actually helped for me create a different kind of bond. And uh, it just made me feel like, wow, this person really does care about how I'm doing. And I, I basically you know, I don't know how long I cried, but I cried for a while. (laughs) Uh, Because there was there was such a relief of, you know, kind of letting this go and like actually telling someone what happened. It's been a rough year for all of us. A lot has risen to the surface in 2020. If you're a survivor of sexual abuse, the isolation, unknowns, and exhaustion may be enough to have you searching for a safe place to belong, a place where questions are welcome and your story is safe. Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I am Nicole Braddock Bromley. I'm an author, an activist, and a sexual abuse survivor, and I am so excited to tell you about something I've been working on. It's an eight-session e-course and virtual support group where you'll meet virtually with survivors just like you who are in various places on the lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. Not only that, but I've created a book of contemplative writing prompts that go along with an eight-part film series of new content where you'll also meet some of my dearest friends who, like you, have known the pain of sexual abuse, but also know the feeling of being unleashed. This road is long, but we don't have to walk alone. Join us as we make 2021 a year to become unleashed where you can experience belonging and free your wild soul. Keep your eyes out for the launch of Unleash at the beginning of 2021 at IamOneVoice.org. You know, you sharing with Alicia and Mm -hmm. just her response was so good and so unique, honestly. But you also shared right before, like she was the first person you shared with and you're you're lucky that she's such a great one. And we should also plug the fact that your wife was on our podcast um, yes, back in April of 2019, um, talking with us about when the first person you tell doesn't believe you. She did a really great job as a therapist, but also, you know, as a partner of someone who has gone through this and talking about, you know, what survivors deserve when they first tell. And it's, she didn't go into your story I think she really wanted to um, let you be the one to tell your story, but it's cool to hear you talking now and knowing, you know, kind of where that wisdom and compassion came from. Do you feel like that's that your story has informed her work at all? Or do you feel like she always has just kind of had that about her and just so happened to marry a survivor? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know how much of her story she shared so long ago. I don't, I don't remember it. But she has, yeah, she's been through her own 
trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the same way that I have, but mm-hmm. I think she just she just knows how to how to be that person. Mm-hmm. I even I joke with her because I'm like, does anyone not like you? Because <laughs> I feel like uh-huh. I can I feel like I can think of some people in my life who probably don't like me. Uh, but I can't, <laughs> oh I, can't, I can't think of anyone who might not like you. But she's just that person. So she's yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 She's um a trusted safe place for sure mm-hmm. for many people. But that's really it's really great just to hear the story of you, you telling her for the first time. And I do hope that other survivors would find that same courage to be able to share with somebody that they are in day-to-day relationship with, because, you know, as much as we don't want the abuse that we endured to be something that affects us or forms us in any way, it Mm -hmm. does. It just does. And when you have any level of intimacy with someone else, you know, whether, you know, it's like a marriage or, you know, a, a close friendship, you know, even like siblings, um, even I think with your children, depending on their age, I think it is a part of your journey and your truth telling to be able to come forward with these things that have happened to you because, you know, we didn't ask for them. We didn't deserve them. It's not our fault, but it happened to us and it does affect us. You know, it's not who we are, right? but it does affect us. I think it helps. Other people who are close to us to understand why maybe we get crazy sometimes, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like to for her to understand that there's certain things that might trigger you and then to be, you know, cautious about it or just over communicate in that area. I think it's just a a level of showing genuine compassion for you and care and help you to feel seen and loved, right? Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, it's an understanding that all of us in in some, some way or form have things from our past that trigger us in some negative or unhealthy way. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, sexual abuse or anything. It can be a whole slew of things, right? But the practice of being able to share and being able to say, hey, when you do this or when this happens, this is what comes out of me and this is what I feel. When you do that, I think especially in a marriage, I think it helps um, with communication. It helps with vulnerability. Like I think I think the way that Alicia and I have been able to be vulnerable with each other has helped our marriage to really survive (laughs) I mean we have had some really hard moments where mostly me I have (laughs) I have not wanted to share and I have and and Alicia just kind of you know she's kind of draws it out of me in Mm -hmm. in such a um peaceful way Mm -hmm. um that I think it's just really helped us to to learn how to talk to each other and to learn to say well here is what's actually bothering me yeah. And and to not look at just the symptoms of what that issue might be, because there are things that there are ways that we react and respond. But those reactions and responses are coming from some core place. And so mm-hmm. being able to talk about that core place is the thing that I think helps us to 
build a bond and to have vulnerability and to really trust each other and and being able to be open and honest and so there's there's i mean there's a lot of things that alicia can't tell me because she's a counselor um <laughs> but there's 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 not a whole lot that i can't tell her because i'm me <laughs> <laughs> right just piddly old you you know <laughs> good old me no but yeah i get what you're saying from like a professional standpoint there might yes. be an imbalance there but I like what you're saying about the core. Um, you know, if we know the core things that this other person that we really care about, you know, we're doing day-to-day life with, if we know their core and they know our core, um, it helps to um, have those hard conversations that you can always go back to and, and be like, is this coming from that thing? you know, yep. Yep. and that there's not shame around that or a feeling like you have to dance around the topic, but that it's out there and it's accepted and known and there's no shame on that because yep. it wasn't your shame, right? Yeah. But it's affecting you. So I like how that has become something in your relationship that you're able to discuss openly. Mm-hmm. So is there something that she does or a way about her um, that you know, let's say you're shutting down and Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about it or something, but she's one that would draw it out. I'm wondering for people who are listening, you know, we have tons of survivors who are listening, but we also have people who care about survivors, people who are walking the healing journey with survivors. They are wanting more informed as to how to do that. Well, Um, is there something that you would say that her a way about her or her style of approach, you know, does she kind of let you be for a while and do whatever you need to do and then kind of circle back or is she pushy? Does she, you know, make you a candlelight dinner and then like what happens? What is it that draws you out? No way on the candlelight. (laughs) Okay. Um, I know you're the cook, right? I do cook a lot. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is a word that I can describe for her, it will be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of it, in the very beginning of our marriage, um, we had some we had some breakdowns in communication and that resulted in, you know, us both of us saying things to each other that we probably shouldn't have said, you know. And mm-hmm. So what we had to do was figure out what worked for us and how we communicated with each other. And one of the things that she suggested that we still do now is when we are upset, we need to communicate to the other person that we are upset and how much time do we need before we can talk. Mm. So for me, I am, I am, when I get angry, I get quiet. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to start, you know, yelling or arguing. I'm just going to get quiet Yeah, (laughs) and I'm going to think about what I want to say. And then once I find the word, if I want to say it, if I want to say it, (laughs) but when I find the words, I will rip you to shreds. Yeah. (laughs) Once I, (laughs) once I formulate what it is that I want to say. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. And so, um, when I was younger, I was super like off the cuff, like, I would just, I could, I could argue really well. 
And because of it, I have said things to people that have been so hurtful that they can't forget it. Mm, whoa. And so, <laughs> yes, I know. That's how I mean, that, I know. And so I make sure I never hurt your feelings. No, 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 no. So I have learned over the years um, to be able to take all of that anger and everything that I'm feeling and actually figure out what is it that I'm really because I'll say, you know, all these things, I'm upset about that. And you did this and blah, blah, blah. And why are you blah, blah. And it's like, but that's not the issue. The issue is this, this thing here. And so what I have to do is I have to say, look, I'm really upset. And you don't want me to, you don't want me to talk right now. Mm-hmm. So can we talk after dinner? Um, let me go for a walk or let me go listen to some music or let me go work on something. And then afterwards I'll come back or can we do this tomorrow morning, you know, before the kids wake up or so for my wife, um, she needs to know when Mm. I can't just, I can't just say, let's just talk about it some other time because she's going to be like, but when, like, cause in the beginning of our marriage, if I did that, I would just like not say anything for days, you know? And so it's just like cold shoulder, like, yeah. don't talk to me. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, I want to say in the last like two or three years, our, like our arguments, we have not, and I hate saying this because then we end up getting an argument. Um, but like our arguments have Wait, gone- you hate saying it on the podcast because it no, might I- cost- I hate saying it generally. Oh, I was going to say, every- then don't say it. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, I'm saying, when, when we argue, it's not very long. Like, we, we have really learned how to have very short arguments. Mm-hmm. And some of it is because we know what the other person needs to have time to think about what they want to say and to communicate, like, again, that core thing. Because most of the time you start arguing about something or get upset about something and it's, it goes off into, well, last week this happened and two weeks ago and my, you know, all these other things start coming up. And so we just don't want to keep going through that. And so, um, I feel like it's been, yeah, it starts to, yeah. And so for me, when I, especially in those moments where I have felt triggered, I remember her saying, do you need a moment? Like, do you need a moment? You know, I can tell like something's, something's off. Do you need a moment? And I'm like, yeah, I do need a moment. And yes, something is off. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, I don't know if you guys know about the Enneagram, but I'm a four on the, you know, I do. And I know you're a four. I didn't even have to ask. Yes. And so I am such a feeler. I can feel everything. And so for me, the simple, the simplicity of her knowing Mm. that something is off as a four. Yes. Now surrounded in hearts. Yeah. So so I'm just like, wow, you actually, you can tell. And so just by her knowing that something's wrong and off, it opens me up. It makes me vulnerable. It makes me go, yes, something is wrong. And like, look, I'm tearing up right now. Oh, that's so (laughs) beautiful. Because I can feel, I feel those moments where I know Mm -hmm. that she's entering into that moment of 
compassion. And I feel that all the time. Every time I hear people's stories, I'm like wrapped in it because I can feel it. I can feel what's coming mm. across, you know? And actually, I think it's part of what informs music for me. Like I feel, you know, I can feel it all. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so anyway, it's it's very helpful that she knows she knows some of the way, not like we don't get this perfect every time, but I feel like for the most part, we have learned this mm-hmm. way of going, hey, give me, give me till after dinner or let's wait till the kids go to bed and then let's talk. Yeah. Know? So yeah. I can then figure out what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I used to actually, and my wife helped me stop doing this, <laughs> um, but this might be helpful for someone who's in the beginning of it. Um, I am much more expressive when I write things down. Mm-hmm. So when I can write something down, I can actually get the truth. Yeah. Whereas if I stay in my head, I I can come up with all kind of false narratives. Yeah. Mm. And so if I write it down, it actually helps me to actually soften my own heart mm-hmm. and to kind of get across what I really want to say. So I used to, when we would argue in the beginning of our marriage, um, I would sit down and write down everything I wanted to say. And then I would give her the letter <laughs> and I would be like, here is, here is what I really want to say. And I just don't know how to like actually say it. Yeah. Um, but for my wife, knowing her, it's much more meaningful for her, for me to fumble over myself and try to say it okay. rather than writing it down sure. and trying to make it right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the beginning, it was very helpful for me. And sometimes I still write down if I'm that angry, I'll write down what I want to say mm-hmm. and then I will leave it. I won't give her the letter. I'll just mm-hmm. go and talk to her because now I know mm-hmm. now I know what I've been feeling and thinking about whatever happened, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I really relate to that. I feel like I, I need to really think through as I'm writing it out, like, how do I really feel? And then once I write it, sometimes I'm like, well, that's really stupid. Or I'll be like, no, I really feel that. And I, and now I need to like bring my notes with me to this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Give Mm -hmm. me a podium. Uh, Yeah. Right. Sit (laughs) your ass down and listen to what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's that's really helpful. And I love how you said, you know, it, it has really informed your music, even like, Mm. you know, the thought of like writing music and you talk about this a little bit in my new course also, but could you Mm -hmm. share a little bit about that? Just how music has played a role in your healing um, or how, the pain in your life um yeah has played a role in your music yeah um yeah music um to me um it is one of the primary ways that i you know as as a christian connect with god Mm um and it is it is one of the ways that i i find to to be able to like let my let my thoughts be healed in some way you know um it's much like i i find that some of the stuff that i write um reminds me of like 
the Psalms in the Bible where, you know, David is like, you know, life sucks. I hate this. Things are terrible. I can't believe this would happen. And then worthy are you, Lord, you are so good. <laughs> you know, I praise your name, you know, because it, that's where you end up going once you get through all of the, you know, all of the stuff that's on the surface. As you dig deeper, you find that even in the midst of all the trouble, there's so much goodness. There's yeah. so much that the Lord has done. And so for me, um, you know, I tell people this, that I listen to my own music and I think some people think it's weird, but for me, I, it's not because I enjoy my voice so much or I love the way I play. It's because it's a story. Like the stuff that I write come from moments of, of either moments of joy, moments of hardship, moments of, um, there's this one thing on my album, my last album, that's just instrumental. Hmm. And that instrumental music is the music that I prayed to for over two years. Every time I would pray, I would just turn this instrumental music on hmm. that I recorded myself. And I would use that as I prayed or as I read scripture. And so for me, it means something when I hear it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not It's not just a song. It's not just something... Um, that I wanted to put out there to try to write a hit. It's like, this means something to me. And the way I, I kind of describe it is, is my, I had a, I have a friend who has, um, hold up, can I share this part? Cause I think it's on the video. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I have a friend um, who has a ton of tattoos. I mean, like a ton. And I asked her, um, about her tattoos and like, you know, do you, did you, do you regret any of these tattoos? And she was like, no, she was like, I don't regret any of them. She was like, they actually um, tell a story. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I get to look at my tattoos and remember a time in my life where I used to think a certain way that I no longer think, mm -hmm. or that I was in a certain season that I'm no longer in. And I get to actually look at that and go, man, I remember that moment or so no, she's like, I don't regret it. She's like, I love that. I get to see that history. I get to see that story of my own life, like on my body. Hmm. And that's what, that's what my songs are like for me. Like it takes me back to a place um, that just reminds me of sometimes of the struggle, sometimes of, you know, yeah. being in a really hard place mm -hmm. and knowing that, things were going to be okay, you know? Because yeah, um, so, yeah. they were later. Like, yeah, you they lived were. it. You lived yes. through it. And the, and things worked out. And it wasn't mm -hmm. as as damning of an experience as I thought it was going to be, you know? Right. Um, and some of those things were like, I made some really bad decisions. Like, mm -hmm. bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I look at my life now. I look at my wife, I look at my three kids, I look at what I'm able to do from week to week. And um, even stuff like this, being able to sit with you and, and have this conversation is like, this is a part of my story. Those things, those moments that I went through have actually been helpful in the seasons that I'm in even now. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's really powerful. I think your words, your heart, your music, 
like everything about you, all the gifts God's given you, all the struggles you've lived through to talk about it, the courage he's given you, the support system that you have chosen for yourself and placed around you. Um, all of it has given you such a platform to be able to share that would make a difference in so many lives. And I know it's doing that today. I know that, that your role in the film and the upcoming project is going to make such a huge impact. And so, yes, thank you, Joshua. No problem. You're amazing. Where could people find your music? Anywhere. Amazon, Spotify, iTunes. Just look up Joshua Miller music. Just look up Joshua Miller music. Yeah. One of my favorite songs, like of all time right now that I've written Mm -hmm. is called Won't Let Go. Okay. And it's on my album, my second album, the Transitions album. Okay. Um, and it is, man, every time I listen to it, I cry. Mm. Because it was such a hard, such a hard season. Um, the name of yeah, it again? It's called Won't Let Go. Won't Let Go on the yeah. Transitions album. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So well, yes, check it out. Buy it, share it, cry to it do yeah. all of that so. <laughs> awesome well thank you so much Joshua we love you and we're grateful for you thank you so much thank you so much for listening be sure to subscribe write a review if you heard something you liked even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together you can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org